I have found myself in this process of moving, having these thoughts of frustration, like, oh, I don't really feel like I'm getting as much done musically as I would. And then I'm just like, got to take a step back and go, hey, the season of my life I'm in is in this really beautiful season of handing off these these things I've built. And that's really holy and sacred. Between the Grooves is hosted by James Curtis, music director and morning man in the greater Toronto area on Joy Radio, and Aisha Woods, Grammy-nominated singer, songwriter, and musician. Together, they talk with artists and industry insiders to discover our connection between music and faith. You can connect with us on Facebook or Twitter, at Between Grooves. Now, here's James and Aisha. Aisha, it's been a few weeks. It has. It's, I've, I've it, missed you. I've missed you too, and it's it's <laughs> been just busy. Like I love summertime, but I just find that it, it tends to get busy as well. We've had some some uh, issues with artists. Um, Monday, as you know, is often a travel day, and uh, so trying to nail down artists and people in this business mm-hmm. and industry to actually have a conversation. Sometimes it's difficult. So uh, in all sure. honesty, we've had lots of stuff booked. We've had some cancellations. We've had some rescheduling and stuff. And uh, so yes. this is the first time we've gotten together. And uh, the other part of it is vacation time, whether it's yourself yes. or myself or the summer festivals, because I know I'm usually away at least a couple of weekends with summer festivals, you know, and, what we do at these festivals is we actually have conversations with these artists as well. So that's uh, great for future episodes of Between the Grooves, but we are finally yeah, together. Yeah, looking forward to those. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And today we get to chat with Ben Grace. Now, Ben was a guest with us um, right uh, at the beginning of 2020. So this was um, this was kind of pre-pandemic and uh, obviously a lot has happened since then so let's get right into it with ben grace on between the grooves good morning i'm so sorry comedy of errors over here for us you know what i like about ben's accent what's that he sounds like uh, the boys from for king and country (laughs) because <laughs> they're from my country exactly exactly. I just love that accent I really do and and I mean I really shouldn't call it an accent because we all have accents when you think about it no that's, that's yeah, true, true. I probably yeah. sound Canadian right it, it, it's funny that people think they don't have an accent you know right so I'm not I'm, I'm very aware I have an accent because I've been walking through America for 12 years with the accent you know right right now, I what's interesting, Ben, is I don't hear your accent when you sing your songs. How do you do yes. that? Well, see, accents are mostly in the vowels, and so when you when you're singing okay. songs, you're elongating all of those vowels, and, and sure, it's more sure. work, I think, to actually make it. So there's a there's a band in um, Australia called the Waifs, and they had this huge breakout single in the early 2000s called London Still. So it's like, and I was mm-hmm. singing it with this very flat. Oh, I'm in London still. Like they would, they would very, very deliberately like they'd have to really push the accent to make it happen. Uh huh. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's the same thing when you hear like a Scottish person sing and, and they sound like super American, and then they start speaking, and it's like, what what happened? Um, right, right. So yeah, sing, singing is, is is kind of a accent free zone for. I, I mean, there are definitely words that you hear that, that pop out. Oh, yeah, sure. The time because, sure. Because it's elong- elongating all of the, the words. It sort of flattens everything out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, 
I mean, it's also, I do a lot of harmony singing. I do a lot of singing with other people and harmonizing and backing up. And I think to a certain degree, you know, you sort of learn a cadence. Um, and, you know, mm-hmm. I learned, I think, you know, I mean, I, I've been singing my entire life, but like since moving here to the States, you know, doing a lot of uh, backing up Americana artists, it kind of, it, it makes a difference. But there's there's definitely, mm-hmm. you know, on, on my first record, my one of my producers she was like, hey, there's a couple of words that you pronounce that will be dead giveaways to an American audience. So she <laughs> was like, you know, sing, sing this kind of word um, this way. Um, so we did a little uh-huh. bit of that in the fir- on the first record. Do you remember what those words were? Any of them? I think uh, rhetoric was one of them. Okay. okay. Um, yeah, I, I think I, you know, because I think we say, uh, we say it differently in Australia. I think we say rhetoric. Um, the, ah, the that's interesting. Um, yeah, that would so make you self-conscious like, if you see that in a song, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. It's it's like on a aluminum and aluminium. You know, we we say that differently. So, <laughs> wow. <laughs> tomato, tomato. That's right. Potato, exactly. tomato. Tomato, <laughs> clamato. Um, <laughs> ben, do you find, uh, especially when you sing uh, background, um, that you're pronouncing less of the consonants and perhaps even uh, less of the finishing of words because the the main vocalist would be doing that for you? hundred percent. And, and I, you know, when I produce people in the studio, I'm always coaching people to come in to sing backgrounds. I'm like, it's very different. You know, you, you mm-hmm, have to mm-hmm. sing a little, you, you sing those consonants softer, you know, and for some people, you know, who've only been singing lead their entire life, that's really, really difficult. But, you know, I, I'm, if they if they get in there really in their head about it, I'll be just like, don't worry about it. I'm probably just going to edit that later, right. <laughs> you know, because you know, when you're in the when you're there in the studio, you can just you can cut off the ends of words and you can soften the fronts and stuff. But it is about you know if you're singing backgrounds, you're often really trying to match the vowel sound, you know. And there's there's also a trick that a lot of background singers do, where they don't even really sing the consonants, you know, they just they just kind of get the big the big vowels in, in behind. And yeah. sometimes they might not even know the words properly. So they're just trying to match the vowel sound. <laughs> I've, I've seen that. I've heard that. And, uh, and I suppose it's the, it's not even a lazy way of singing because you have to be very conscientious and very metic- yes, you do. meticulous to do something like that. But I found that, uh, I first found that when I was doing audio in my church, this was many years ago, and there was a group that sang and they were just, they were amazing. Their harmonies were brilliant. And it was four people in the band, three of them sang and the one played the keys or whatever. Um, And I would listen to the lead vocalist. And of course I could listen on cue and I could hear them singing. And so, you know, while they're performing or even doing during sound check, I'm listening to all of the vocals and I'm listening to the background vocals. And it's like, I cannot understand what you're saying. You know, you're not, you're not <laughs> saying the words at all, but together they sounded amazing. Yeah. And, and often I think with background vocals, there's that trick to not always hitting some of the smaller words. Cause you know, if, it, if there's a fast paced kind of line, it can get very jumbled and very, you know, cluttered quickly. Sure. So, you, so you're just sort of locking in on some of the kind of the really highlight words or when the phrase kind of you know, the phrase sort of got started, you know, if it's like it is finished, for instance, and finishes the big, you know, the big note, you don't sing the, the it is necessarily, right. or you just sort of like sing like a small part of it, you know, so sometimes it's, it's finished, you know. Yeah, <laughs> <Just> <laughs> you know. that's a good lesson. That's not just for recording. That's a good lesson for background vocalists in church because 
they wouldn't know necessarily given the fact that many of them are volunteers and they just wouldn't know any better, but that's a good lesson for them to keep in mind as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's there's, there's a lot that goes into trying to sing and sound together. I mean, I think that's just also a lesson in life really oftentimes is that like how we kind of collaborate and fall in step with each other is, is we all sometimes take turns someone just being the person who's sort of leading the conversation and the rest of us sort of support that, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's, it's intriguing kind of concept that I think kind of relates to a lot of things. Let's take a step back for a moment. Um, the last time we chatted was the beginning of 2020. Uh, mm-hmm. we were talking everything from crowdfunding to social justice, to human rights, to empathy. And, um, one thing we did not touch on, uh, then was the pandemic and that was really and a con- something well and the reason why is we made a conscious decision not to talk about the pandemic because we figured ah this is just going to be you know it's going to come and go fairly quickly let's not make this conversation date sensitive or or you know limit limit the the episode to you know a pandemic related conversation little did we know that uh, a few years later maybe we should have talked about the pandemic oh my goodness oh, yeah. So what has changed for you in, I guess, three years? Oh, man, so much has changed. Uh, I mean, I just moved to San Diego when COVID hit. I'd been here for uh, less than nine months. Um, I moved into a brand new house a month before COVID uh, with my now wife. And uh, we had two housemates as well. And um mm. We were just like, hey, there's, you know, we, we four adults and my, my stepdaughter comes and goes. We have her week on, week off um, and two cats and a dog. And we're like, oh, well, we'll be able to go to our jobs, jobs and all we all kind of doing the thing. And then, you know, a month later, we're all locked down together. Um, and so we started live streaming like crazy because we didn't really know what else to do. Um, and we live streamed every Thursday night and every Sunday for, uh, well, the Thursday night lasted for about 15, 16 months. And then the live stream mm. on Sunday, um, we did up until October of last year, um, when when that, that the church we're a part of there we we're live streaming with, we uh, closed our doors at the, the end of last year. Um, so wow. we we were pretty much uh, the live stream on a Thursday. We called Heathen Happy Hour because we had a podcast called Heathen, mm-hmm. and it was uh, okay. myself and Karen, my wife, who were part of Story and Tune, um, and then our housemate Matthew, um, who has a drag personality called Flamey Grant. Uh, so Christian drag personality, and uh, and and <laughs> and we learned over seven hundred covers, and we um, went live for a couple of hours every Thursday, and just and we sang together, and we sang and we sang and we sang, and we had conversations with people, and we just generally tried to uplift the community around us uh, by allowing mm-hmm. us to kind of mourn together and grieve, and sometimes laugh on the events. You know, there was so much happening politically in in the world. Um, so yeah, it was it was a really wonderful time because we still f- stayed very very connected um, to community uh, to life and um, out of that period of time, you know, Flamey made an album which has you know Derek Webb and Jennifer Knapp and Semla and a lot of these folks. Oh who, wow! You know, who've been huge in the Christian scene um, and who, for one way or another, one reason or another, has been pushed to the edges, um, but who are who are trying to take up their space, you know, in this kind of genre called Christian music. Um, so I produced that Flamey Grant album. It's gone on to do Gangbusters and, and Flamey is touring all over the place and just won the Kerrville Folk uh, Festival this year, one of the winners there. Um, 
So it's really wonderful to see what, you know, that, that blossomed out of the pandemic. It blossomed out of the sort of necessity of us trying to stay um, connected and entertained um, and to use our gifts to encourage people during a you know, pretty dark time for a lot of people. It's not only being yeah, connected and, and entertained, but but it's, it, was this also a way to make a living? Because because nobody was doing anything. Yeah, I mean, we we definitely started out at first just kind of, we didn't really know what we we're doing. None of us really did, really, honestly. We were all just kind of making it up as we went along. And, um, you know, mm. we had a tip jar initially, and I think we, that tip jar we had up there for, for about a year or so. Eventually, we kind of really sort of stopped talking about it. There were people who still would, would tip us every single week, but we were also very aware of how many people in that particular community who would come on the live streams, you know, people had lost their jobs, people, you know, kind of um, were trying, you know, were just sort of struggling generally. Um, and so sure. for us, we'd also, we'd also found other little hustles along the way um, that mm-hmm. had enabled us to stay afloat. I mean, I'm not going to lie, in 2020, I earned as much as I earned in 1998 fresh out of high school as an intern at a credit union, you know, it, it was a very, very lean <laughs> year. Um, but, yeah. And we can laugh time, about it now, but right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think right the, one thing we, <laughs> the one thing I think I just kept on saying is we've just got to stay visible, you know, as musicians mm-hmm. and, you know, we've got to stay in top of mind so that when this thing is over, you know, we're the first people people think about, you know, to, to come out. And I think I'd always hoped, you know, there were many of us who were just live streaming and I was like, you know, I was really hoping that once the pandemic was open, like, oh, my stars, like these musicians really helped us through and, and we'd love to go out and see my, live music again. And and, and I found yeah. that that sort of has happened and it sort of hasn't happened. Um, I think mm. what happened for a lot of folks was a lot of us were doing it tough. I mean, all of us really were in many, many ways. But, you know, folks who are kind of doing it tough financially, you know, might have been living on their credit cards and all that kind of stuff. They're, they're, kicking, the, they're kicking it down the hill and thinking we'll catch up later. <laughs> and, mm, and so sure, a lot sure. of folks, you know, to, to get out after the pandemic, it feels like, well, that's a luxury. I'm still digging myself out of the hole. And so, and so I get that. Mm. But I think we're just starting to see this year, which is wild. So three years, we're just starting to see house shows come back. We're just starting to see kind of venues with full capacities. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a long time, three years in the life of a musician, um, in your career, sure. it's a very, very long time. And a lot of my friends didn't really make it through. A lot of my friends, you know, quit the business and went and did something else. And, um, Gosh, I'm just, I'm tough. super, super grateful today to be sitting here and still be a working musician, um, and making my right. living through all sorts of different ways, making records, touring, um, you know, still a little bit of live streaming here and there. And, you know, it's, it's been a, it's been a sort of a, a strange gift um, to to be able to under, to be able to understand that I can pivot and do something different and be creative in the way that I make money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I you sup- got to have multiple streams at this point. Uh, that's exactly what was going through my mind. Is is uh, I suppose what the from what I've seen, anyways, the pandemic has forced musicians particularly like that industry the music industry to look at different revenue screen different means streams, uh, yeah. streams uh different ways to look at making money and yeah. and not just during the pandemic but now as well 
And that's the reason why, yeah. not the reason why, but that's why uh, that's you often see artists when they've got a gig and they're performing. Of course, they've got the merch table. Uh, maybe they're live streaming the event at the same time. And there is that tip jar right. or some ways to help support the artists. Uh, for years, artists have been using crowdfunding to yep. you know help record or, or help finance the recording process to come up with music. So I suppose that part has changed in your life as well, hasn't it, Ben? Yeah. I mean, I think most successful musicians I know have always had that multiple streams of revenue. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the, the, whether, whether it be also um, a sponsorship deal, you know, with, with someone that's kind of helping them, you know, either giving them, you know, gear for touring or giving them a small stipend to be a spokesperson for a brand, you know. So sure, successful musicians sure. have always hobbled things together and, and kind of figured it out, you know, because you have those, you know, you put out a record, you go out and you tour and support that record. Um, and that's a season and that often lasts, you know, depending on how big you are, a couple of months to, you know, a year or two. But then in between, mm. then you've got this kind of period where, where that's not being exploited anymore and it's not being played on the radio anymore. And it's not, you know, hasn't got quite the excitement as, as normal. And so then you've got to figure out how to, to do those things in that, in that fallow season in between. Um, so, you know, it's, it's an interesting kind of life. And, and I think that, you know, it requires creativity on a number of fronts. And I'm one of those weird musicians that I like the business <laughs> side of it. I, I, I like spreadsheets yes. and I like trying to figure out how to, how to make it work. And um, nice. Yeah. And, and so for me, you know, the pandemic was just one of those things. I mean, initially for sure, I'm mean, that shock of like, wow, ev everything that I knew how to do is just instantly gone. Um, but after a few weeks, I think we just, we started to try and, you know, be like, actually, I've been doing this a long time, just like going from job to job mm -hmm. and doing different things. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's I been a fun, it's been a fun time to try and just be really creative in the way we do it. Yeah, sure. Are you are you still writing music? What does what does that process look like for you now? Yeah, I mean, what was strange is you know I've been tracking since about 2013, 2014 for no other purpose than than just for my own sake. I've been tracking how many songs yeah. I write a year, and uh, about every two years I had sort of have a bumper year and write a lot more songs, mm -hmm. and often that lines up. I've been in the kids' music space for ten years. Um, nice. uh, writing songs for, for kids television. And so often it lines up with one of those, one of those projects, kind of aligns because, you know, I'll end up writing 20 songs this, that year just for that, you know, kids show. Mm, um, that's great. And yeah. So, you know, that happened in 2017. I wrote a season and then 2019, I wrote a season that 2019 was when I first met my, my wife and we wrote a lot of songs together that year. We had, um, wrote almost 50 songs that year, which was, you know, a record for me. 2020 i think we wrote 11 <laughs> uh, but wow, because okay. we were live live streaming so much and and doing all that kind of stuff and also um sort of really took advantage of that time i built out um in a closet in our back room i built out a vocal booth and so we were just recording a lot um there you go and so i was doing a lot i think over 2020 i think we released 22 songs um so we're just we're just trying to keep content out there um, I, I hate that right. word content. I'm not a, I'm not a content creator, <laughs> but, <laughs> right, but, right. but we were, we were releasing things and making, you know, trying to keep things out there. But, um, so we did, we weren't writing as much, I think partly because, you know, the, uh, just the stimulus wasn't there. You know, I, I think I, I get a lot of ideas mm -hmm. from regular life and conversation with folks and travel right, and, right. you know, um, 
but since then we've been writing a lot. So with 2021, we, we wrote a new season of a show called Babble Bop, which is on NBC Peacock. And, um, mm-hmm. and we wrote a lot of songs that year and then we've been continuing to write a lot of songs, um, since then. So, um, there's always probably, you know, there's, there's always a reason to write, but I think oftentimes, you know, if it's not, if there's not a project attached to it or, or, or kind of a, a record you're working on, um, like we just released our story in tune debut album a couple of months ago. If, if you don't have a, okay. a, a reason to write, sometimes you're not always finishing things. So I wouldn't say I'm not writing. I'm always writing, but it's just a matter of sure. finishing. So I, I only count the things I finish. I think 2020, every single day. yeah, I think 2020 would have been a difficult <laughs> year to actually finish writing just b- because you're focused on so many different areas and, sure. uh, you know, focusing on the streaming, focusing on uh, the covers and, and, doing business, doing your business a different way than you've ever done and you need to focus on it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the stimulus thing was huge. You know, I, I'm very inspired by people and I, I love to kind of write from people's stories and and, sure. and from so what's happening. And I think what was happening, you know, in America and the world was very heavy, you know. And, mm-hmm. I, and I know that there were people, you know, and I've got a lot of friends who wrote those pandemic records and those COVID records um, and, and gosh, some of them are beautiful. But the Mm-hmm. All of them are tragic, you know. All of them are hard, you know. Oh, and sure, I think, sure. And I think, to a certain degree, you know, we were carrying some of that hardness, you know, on our live streams. Like we were really kind of processing with people uh, every Thursday some of that stuff, and that was kind of our gift then. But I think other times I was just like, I can't, I can't read. Uh, you know, up until then, I think I've been reading the, the New York Times morning edition every single day and I got to a place wow. in 2020 where I'm just like I need to I, I just Can't take a break feels yeah. really heavy exactly yeah it was, sure. it was an act of self-care to say I, I I need to like take a step back from this um because it just it all feels so impossibly heavy you know mm-hmm. um, so mm-hmm. yeah I mean I think you know since then I've just definitely been writing things and I've got a potential another Ben Grace album in the works and and I think right. kind of, a few of those things will kind of uh, a few of those songs around sort of the hardness and the heaviness of COVID. Some of those songs will probably make mm-hmm. it in there as well. But I felt like I had to get a little bit of distance from it in order to kind of write about that. Effectively. Oh yeah. You mentioned Are you still streaming. No, we're, we're streaming about once a month at the moment, um, just to sort of stay in touch with some of those folks that we, you know, used to see, when I put that in, you know, in rapper's ears, we used to see every week yeah. some of those people who are still, it's amazing people, some some people have sort of forgotten that for some folks, you know, the pandemic continues to be tricky, you know, and some folks who have been isolated because of severe health concerns, you know, have remained really right. isolated. Um, so we're still live streaming to stay connected to some of those folks and stay connected to our patrons and, and people who came along the journey with us. Um, but not, but not regularly. I think, you know, as soon as we can sort of get out there and be in the world with humans and be in, in rooms with human bodies, that was really, really important. And we've really treasured that time to get out there and play live music in front of people again. (laughs) You mentioned earlier that you like, you like to plan, uh, which is, which is great because a lot of, um, artists and creatives don't, (laughs) Um, but, um, if you're planning, you're probably like me where you feel you always have to be productive. You always have to be doing something. And do you have what you would consider a busy season that, that helps you plan? Yeah. I mean, one of the things I've, 
been really curious about over the years. When I first discovered the, like, the liturgical seasons, I was really blown away by that because I think in modern life, we're, we're very disconnected from the rhythms of the earth, you know, up until, you know, the end of the agrarian age, you know, we were very dependent on the seasons, you know, when the rains would come, mm-hmm. when, the plants, sure. when, when the harvest would come. So we're a very different society. And, and a lot of the, the church calendar, I mean, you know, things like Christmas and Easter are built around those equinoxes. They're built around, you know, Christmas mm-hmm. is the, the longest, the darkest night of the year. And so this idea of bringing right. the light into the world is a, it's a symbol of hope that in the longest, darkest days of the year that like, hang on, the light is coming, you know, I'm, and then I thought that was Easter. I thought it was Santa, but I'm. Learn something new every day. Wow. Okay. Kids, you know, and then, don't worry about this episode. You don't have to listen, but everybody else can. <laughs> exactly. And, and then. Easter is this like harvest time. It's like, hey, the, the world is coming back to life. You know, we're, we're kind of planting things because the, the things spring out from the ground, you know. Um, and, and so for me, I was fascinated by that idea of what does, what does, what do the seasons have to teach us about living, you know, creatively in the modern world and living in seasons ourselves, you know. And, and like I said, in 2020, we were recording a lot, we were live streaming a lot. And so writing didn't, you know, just didn't really have the energy necessarily for that. And, um, I, I've always long loved the idea of kind of, you know, in the summer seasons when you have festivals, when you have touring as an option, all that kind of stuff that you sort of live on the road, you go out there, you do that live thing. But then in the winter, you know, when it's cold and, and the roads are uh, harder to navigate, you know, you hunker down and you write and you record the record. And I, yes. and so we're, trying to, we're trying to live into that a little bit, you know, kind of now, you know, it's why we kind of put out the story and tune record at the, you know, in the spring, the start of the summer and, and we're trying to, you know, get out there and play that. And we toured the West Coast from San Diego all the way up to Seattle, um, and nice. and doing and doing a lot of touring. But then we're also we're about to move to Portland, Oregon. So we're in a really really Ooh. busy season because because we're trying to, uh, you know, hand off a lot of the things that I built down here in San Diego, a lot of the communities that I built in the time I've been here. Um, and then we're obviously trying to pack and then and then move up and move into a different stage of life. So. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I have found myself in this process of moving, having these thoughts of frustration of like, oh, I don't really feel like I'm getting as much done musically as I would. And then I'm just like, got to take a step back and go, hey, the season of my life I'm in is in this really beautiful season of handing go. off these these things I've built. And that's really holy and yes. sacred and because I get to move out of San Diego, this city that I've, I've really loved and I've really invested in and these community that I, around me, the songwriting community I adore. And I get to do that well also so that we can come back, you know, and reunite here and we can, we can play shows. And, and so, you know, kind of realizing that, that, that hectic pace of modern life where you just like, everything has to be go, 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 you, you know, it's sort of this capitalistic idea that we just have to produce all the time and be on all the time and be working all the time is just, it's mm-hmm. unsustainable. It's not how the world was designed. It's not that it's against nature herself. You've mentioned a few times about story and tune. Can you can you elaborate a little bit on that for us? Yes, yeah, so story and tune is the partnership between myself and my wife. We met in 2018 uh, online. I saw her; she's a poet, and I saw her writing on Instagram through a mutual friend, um, and it was absolutely blown away by how she used words um, as as someone who's written up my entire life. Um, you know, I, I adore words. Obviously, my first album is called As If Words Could Heal the Wounds. Um, so mm. I really do think that the written and the spoken word and language itself has such a power to shape 
worlds that we don't even see yet. Uh, that yeah. words can be prophetic and they can be, you know, uh, they can bring to, to bring things into into the world that didn't exist before, you know. So oh, I've always, sure. you know, loved, loved words. And then I saw the way Karen used words and I was like, wow, that, that woman knows how to use words. Um, <laughs> so I followed along, followed along for a few months and, uh, you know. And you found out she was single. So you thought, okay, <laughs> one thing led to another. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I didn't really know that at first. That's <laughs> right. Yeah, I didn't know that at first, and I, I was coming out of a, you know a, a really long marriage, and it was you know my life was very very messy, and there was a lot of grief there. Um, but uh, so at first, I was just following along as someone who just you know loved you know poetry, and you know it's how I used Instagram it really was to follow poets and follow, follow artists, and uh, I was posting a lot of articulate things on her Instagram posts like "ug" and "gar." You know, <laughs> really serious about the words, people. Um, but eventually, after a few months, I, I I think I saw her post something, and I was like, she'd kind of tag someone else, and it, and it was like, that's a lyric, and I'm pretty sure she co-wrote that lyric. So I slid into her DMs and was like, hey, like it seems like you might collaborate with songwriters. Do you want to write a song sometime? You know. And uh, she didn't block me immediately, which was great. <laughs> and and uh, and we you had to use the right friends, line. So uh, I know. And she was like, you know, she thought it was a pickup line. Now she realizes I say that to everybody on the internet. Like I love co-writing. I love collaborating. Um, and so she's like, Oh, it's, I, I wasn't special after all, <laughs> but, but we did, we did wind up um, collaborating and uh, it was, it was, a, it was about a month. I think we sort of chatted a little bit backwards and forwards and sent some stuff. And then I was on tour in the UK and she posted something on Instagram and I have to have a day off in a hotel room in Birmingham. And, uh, and I picked up my little electric mandolin and I wrote a chorus to it, to the stuff that she just posted. And I, and I messaged her and said, Hey, I just wrote something. How do I get it to you? Cause you can't send audio across Instagram. I got her cell number and that was the beginning of the end. I, then, <laughs> of course. You know, yes. I, and then, I then, I then called her, like, you know, within, within a day and we talked on the phone and uh, yeah, we our first single was called Birmingham because it was that song that we actually wrote and finished while I was in the UK. And uh, so we wrote our first song before we even met in real life. Um, no kidding, pretty, that's neat. We then had a pretty yeah, whirlwind romance um, that was all cross text. And I, I traveled around Dublin with her in my pocket. Like in, in fact, in, in her phone, my contact is saved. <laughs> my, my nickname is Pocket because, you know, I was, I, you know, had, had her in my pocket as I traveled and, and then we finally met in Colorado on uh, Thanksgiving of 2018. And, um, yeah, and we just continued to write. We wrote a lot. You know, we had a long-distance relationship there for a few months uh, from Colorado to San Diego, and we wrote a song called Write the Fear of Lullaby, which is on my Ben Grace record, which was a conversation really between the two of us as we're entering into this relationship and dating. And there's a lot of, you know, just a lot of fear around kind of dating when you, you know, kind of in your midlife and you've, you know, you've had a, you know, a couple of relationships and, and, sure. and uh, that fear of how do you, how do you do this again? How do you open up to somebody and how to, that vulnerability is, is really, really hard. So, yeah. So we wrote a lot of songs before we kind of even really kind of uh, merged our lives together. And, um, and then story in tune became sort of the brand that we put there. That was basically the marriage of her words and my melodies um, so that That's first neat. first album, the debut album is called Light from a Break, um, Light from the Break, I should say. And um, yeah, it's, it's something we've been working on for, for ages. Um, and the, 
and, and that whole record is all Karen's lyrics and mostly my melody. Sometimes she'll also have melody ideas too. Um, but yeah, wow. it's a really interesting collaboration because, you know, oftentimes with co-writing, you're in the same room at the same time, writing both of those things together. But uh, Karen's process oftentimes, you know, she just has these moments of sheer brilliance and she'll have a song and write it within, you know, a few minutes, which is infuriatingly <laughs> amazing. <Love it. laughs> uh, but, uh, and, then, and then she'll hand it off to me and I'll kind of write write the, uh, the melody. So, yeah, it's, mm. a, it's a wonderful project. We're really proud of the album. It's produced locally by a legend here called Jeff Berkeley, who has produced everyone from Jason Mraz to almost 300 mm. San Diego artists. He's a wonderful, wonderful wow. human. You seem to have a lot That's of different awesome. projects and brands on the go. So how do you focus the right amount of time to each? Because you mentioned that <laughs> you've got another Ben Grace album coming out as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think there's always, you know, once again, I feel like that's a season thing for sure. And I kind of have started to turn my attention to that Ben Grace project as, as I feel like I start to, you know, kind of get a sense of, oh, this song should fit on that and this song fit, should fit on that. You know, I just start to think about kind of what it looks like to start collecting those. And uh, we're very lucky, I think, with the Story and Tune album. We made it very, very quickly because Jeff Berkeley was, moves very, very fast. Um, and we just sort of handed over project to him and he kind of you know really went to town on it so yeah we we, i mean it's one of those things where some days we just you're going from you know i'll wake up in the morning and you know do a little work uh you know for for my church gig and then i'll go and write some kid songs for a project and then you know we'll go out and play a covers gig that night so that it's often you have to just wear be wearing multiple hats and just jumping from thing to thing um but, uh, you know, like I said, just grateful to be doing what I'm doing. And it, 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 I don't know, something, something about that provides me with a lot of energy. As long as I don't have to do two things at once. You know, Karen can multitask. <laughs> I can't. I, I have to be like, no, I've, I've got to be done writing this kid's song. And then I can think about the covers gig. I can't, I can't have both of those, those tabs open in my brain. I suck at multitasking. Admittedly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, multitasking is a gift for sure. You just have to oh have a you just have to have a list and cross it off, and if you're halfway through it, you just have to note where you are. But it can be <laughs> exactly. it can be confusing with with yeah. all the different things you've got and all the all, all the plates you're you're uh, managing. Is there any overlap, like as far as Ben Grace versus Story and Time, or even some of the kids stuff? Yeah, I would say the one thing that holds all those together is is the thing that we keep on coming back to. And I guess, you know, um, this is the thing I think we kind of grow up in, in church kind of learning, right, is about belonging. I read this terrific book by Turka Partona called Belonging. It's very, very dense. I think I've heard a bit of the conversation around dreams and that book is all about dream work. You know, what is your unconscious kind of telling you and what's the stories that are coming up? And um, sure. yeah, I think our thing, no matter if we're writing for kids songs or writing for like, um, you know, church songs we're writing for um, our own original stuff. It's all really the insistence that you belong as you are. Yeah. You know that you are that you are whole, that you are loved, um, and that you know there's there's a lot of voices in life that will tell you that you don't belong. You know, I think there's a lot that's built into capitalism, which is you know you belong, but in a certain place. <laughs> you know, you know mm-hmm. in a certain mm-hmm. kind of you know, utilitarian thing that you belong rather than a, just a, a really yeah. existential, you belong, you know, and you're worth it. And so we're always, I think, trying to write that 
in whatever we're doing, mm. you know, and in our covers sets as well. Like I've spent 20 years being a musician, always resisted kind of doing covers music. And now we, you know, make a decent living out of that. But, but I think we're always, we're just trying to, you know, bring people joy. You know, we've been through a really, really dark season, you know, of life. Yeah. And, and to just, to just kind of bring some smiles to people's faces and to sing a song that people love so they can feel seen. And they can go, oh, thank you so much, you know, or, or you know, bring a tear to someone's eye because you sang their, their grandma's favorite song. Like, you know, I think music has this power to deeply connect us and, and oh, to sure. kind of articulate, you know, a really, really deep part of who we are as humans. Even with covers, mm-hmm. you because often they're songs that people know, you get the participation, you get the people being involved and participating in that song. Yeah, it's such a joy. It's such a joy. I mean, mm-hmm. songs, you know, that sometimes at, at times when I've turned my nose up at like songs that feel cheesy, you know, like a Sweet Caroline, like there's just nothing better, I think, <laughs> than, the whole, than the whole room going, ba, ba, ba. You know, like. That's right. I just, I, we love uniting people. And I think in, in times that I feel have left us very, very divided along, you know, cultural lines, along, you know, spiritual lines, along political lines, you know, like the power of a song, the power of us all singing together. It's not even singing together. I made a, re- a realization recently uh, that I've been in church. I've been trying to encourage us to kind of take some time, particularly in those really hard days when we kind of bring towards our communities you know, uh, victims of gun violence or, or kind of acts of racism that I've just got us to stand together and breathe together. And that's what I think is, is powerful is sure. Maybe you hear the melody, but in between when we ha- all have to take a breath together, like something about that to me is like, that's where the divine dwells in our breath, you know, the, the just spirit mm-hmm. ruach breath like that that really guttural thing. The thing that brings us life when our breaths yeah. align, I think that's beautiful and I hope to see a world where politically we start to take a breath together, you know, uh, Mm. rather than fighting for other people's breaths. Mm. That's interesting. It's very deep actually when you think of it. Yeah, it is. (laughs) I suppose that's the intent. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, so. a, I'm just, a, I'm just a simple man, you know. I, you know, when you're talking about corporate worship, um, just from a very simplistic standpoint, there's the breath, and there's also the singing a song that uh, everyone knows, just so they can participate. Instead of, you know, and sometimes you go to a church and maybe you're visiting or whatever, and you don't know any of the songs. So how can you, right. how can you participate? How can you be a part of that corporate worship when you don't know any of the songs? You're just looking at the lyrics on the wall or on the screen, right. trying to participate, but you really don't know the songs. And yet if you just sing a, sing a simple chorus or the chorus of an old hymn or something like that, that most people would know, it just encourages mm-hmm. people to, to get in there and participate. Sure. Yeah. And I, I think that's the eternal, you know, problem in church is how do you sing stuff? How do we sing a new song, right? Um, well, and how do we sing it so it actually unites people as opposed to like have half the people be like, oh man, I just, I don't know that. That's it. That's, you know, it's not a hymn that I know. It wasn't like that. There's a, there's a really mm-hmm. beautiful line, I think, there about how to, how to teach people to participate. And I've always loved, I think, in the gospel tradition that, you know, you have a song leader, there's one, there's a single person that might be kind of singing a solo and, and, and instead of just kind of standing there passively, our role is to encourage that person to absolutely like take it to the heights, like just tear the yeah. roof off vocally. And, and so 
I think there's there's so many like models there, but all of that I think is that same same thing, you know, like in between the phrase of the gospel church, when when the person is like, you know, when the, in in between the two melodies or the, the piano is taking a break, that that's the when the congregation rises up to say, sing, let's sing together, you know, and, and that kind of moment where we're still <laughs> sure. we're still united, you know, we might be united in really encouraging someone to reach the the best of themselves and the highest of themselves, but that's still you know a uniting factor. It's it's mm-hmm. phenomenal. It's so so powerful. We get to do that, and I think that that the art of communal singing together, the, the gathering around music, um, you know, some part of that I feel like has has been lost a little bit, uh, and I'm also sure. really kind of discouraged by um, you know places like Live Nation where ticket prices post pandemic are so high. I'm just kind of like, man, it, music is for everyone, isn't it? But like. I can't afford right. to go see some of some of my favorite artists because the tickets are thousands of dollars. You know, like that right. just it's 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 really really hard. You know, um, mm. I think music is something that should be democratized. It should be for all of us. It started, you know, we've historically sung music in the parlors of our of our homes, you know, or around a campfire and, and things like that. And that's right, right. that's the thing at place I come back to. Music is for everybody, and we should be able to figure out how to sing something together, you know, all together. I wish when artists have concerts or times together where you have to to buy a ticket, I kind of wish that the consumer could see the breakdown of how they arrived at that price. Yeah. Because very often that price includes, you know, the rental of the venue and whether it be taxes or, or, you know, service charges that they incur that, that we wouldn't necessarily understand. And then we just think, you know, you're paying hundreds of dollars for this ticket and you think it's all going to the artist when that's not necessarily the case. (laughs) And the flip (laughs) flip side of that is hundreds of dollars going to the artist. And you think to yourself, you know, really, do you need, do you need to be making that kind of money? Like you're getting all this other money through your streams and through your merch and everything else. Uh, It shouldn't be, you know, all based on finances, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah a, I, I mean, that, that's that side of, balance. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, mm. that's the side of doing music as a business, right? You know, I mean, it's one of those things where I talk to friends who, you know, aren't musicians who are just business owners and, you know, there's just, there's a thousand, getting a product to market, there are thousands of people who that goes through, you know, there are a thousand people who touch that, you know, and, and trying to kind of make that fair, make it, make make a living wage fair for everybody along that process mm-hmm. um, is, is really hard, you know, and I think music sure. is, is no different. I, I'm realizing that to make music these days takes a village, you know, um, and I, I want to make does. sure that the people who like who produce my records, you know, make money and, and feel good about that. And, and I want to make sure the venue itself, when we, when we show up there uh, and we play a show, I want to make sure that they're happy. Like, you know, we just do this tour up the West coast and, you know, we're not a, a massive band by any means, um, and we didn't have, you know, huge crowds, but we had really, really solid people who came out to see us. And there nice. was one particular venue, venue we played and they were just like, oh, that was, they were just like so blown away. They were like, you guys were unbelievable. Like that was the best mm. live night we've ever had in this venue. And we're just like, they're like, oh, they were, they were apologetic. They're just like, we didn't really know what the show was about. And, and we wish they were like, you know, triple quadruple amount of people that were here and they just said to us we're waiving sure. our fee for the evening like we're going to give you the entire take from the from the day because we just really appreciate you guys coming in and and, and we're just like hey like we want you to make money too but at the same time you know like they're, they're right, making right. Off drinks drinks and food and all that kind of stuff and that's the reality sure. is that you know a lot of times the venue makes money off that side 
And I never want to deny anybody a crust for what they do. You know, um, I just think that on, on a certain level, once you tick to like the level of like Live Nation, for instance, like that just feels like greed to me, you know, uh, where it's just, they're just, those prices are absolutely ludicrous for, for not many reasons whatsoever. <laughs> well, you need shares in Live just Nation and, uh, you know, because somebody's <laughs> making money there. Right. <laughs> not necessarily the artist but anyways no listen ben it's uh awesome. it's been a pleasure to connect with you once again um really enjoyed our conversation i could just you know sit back yeah, and not sure. say anything and just let you talk but um <laughs> it's it's nice just and to enjoy the accent yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's very refreshing and it's nice to see you know obviously we're post-pandemic now it's nice to see uh, how things have evolved and it's still uh, you know it's still tough it's still tough for musicians yep. for artists and stuff it's not uh, i don't know how half the artists and musicians that are out there actually make a living without a side hustle honestly because because sure. there's so much taken from you already even the streaming stuff like how many times mm-hmm. did somebody has to listen to a song before you actually make five cents on it you know like it's just ridiculous right. <laughs> Yeah, thousands of times is the answer to that question. I know, I know. <laughs> and, and that's just yeah. got to be really, really frustrating because you want to come out with good uh, good content. Um, again, here's that word, yeah. content, but but yeah. good quality <laughs> good quality music. And, and all of that takes time and it takes money. And like you say, there's a lot right. of people behind the scenes that make all that happen for you. And then you get your five cents, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I like the way you put that. You get your five cents. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, literally. Thoroughly enjoyed that conversation with Ben Grace. Uh, Great to have him back on Between the Grooves. Nice to catch up. You can uh, check out everything Mm -hmm. about Ben Grace and everything that he's up to at bengracemusic.com. All right. And right here, we're going to have some artist advice by the great lady, Miss Toosie. Believe there is a God you know believe 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 in yourself and believe too that there is a guy he didn't give you he didn't give you these dreams because you know he he has a plan right um i think it's it's not easy to start it's very i find like i don't know aisha where how yours were but i find it's just starting and believing in yourself that you're good enough that god's giving you something Mm -hmm. that he wants the world like he wants people to hear it that's why he gave it to you you know i know like it's a lot of like well i don't think i'm writing that song yet i don't think i'm there yet but if god's giving you something Go for it. Like trust him and right. just and go for it. You know, I I think that will be one of mine. Advice would be, you know, believe in yourself and believe there is a God that's inspired you. It's not like a you didn't just come up with the idea. You know, if He wants you to do it, do it. You are enough. Yeah, having that dream, believing in yourself, and actually doing something with it as well—the follow through. Mm-hmm. And so be important. proactive. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. And sometimes it can be a little nerve-wracking to start with anything. It doesn't have to be music. It doesn't have to be songwriting. Right. It can be anything that you do in life. Just taking that step, that leap of faith, as it were. Right, right. Some wise words from Tuzi on Between the Grooves. And that is it for this week. We are out of time. We are. So if you want to check us out wherever it is that you get your podcasts.
Thanks for listening to Faith Strong Today's Between the Grooves podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, would you consider sharing it with your friends, rating our podcast, or giving us some love on your socials to your amazing friends and followers will only help us reach more people. We'd also love to hear from you and share your feedback in an upcoming episode. Send your video or written message to Aisha and James on Facebook and Twitter at Between Grooves or email us anytime. Hello at faithstrongtoday.com.